He made it back, by the way, so he'll be up here next week. Um, but he is horrible. I've seen him ski. So uh, anyway, he's here right now. So hey, man. Um, hey, we're, we're going to wrap up this series. <laughs> Somebody going, finally, move on. Uh, this series uh, that we've been calling Pirates this month, where, uh, again, if you're just dropping in and kind of visiting, uh, we've been trying to decide of all the ways to live your life, is there something better than what we have now? And we do that all the time in here, just kind of laying what God says beside what we have and going with the better path, better way, the better truth, the better journey. Um, and the question we've been looking at uh, over the last uh, month in here is what or who am I trusting in or leaning on to take care of me? Not just today, but tomorrow and then the day after that and the week after that and the month after that and, and then on, on into the future. And last week, we're going to do the same thing we did last week. We're going to kind of leave some of those questions behind about do you believe in God and can you trust God? And we're going to kind of move into the if, if so, if you do, then what? Okay, so, I mean, because Jesus never just left it out there going, I just need everybody to believe the right stuff and we'll be, we'll be fine. He said, if you believe, then what? If you believe, then, then there's a so what to that. Not, what, what would your look like, not if you believe, you know, but, but how different would it be? Not your prayer life, not your church life. I would sing more songs about Jesus if I believe more. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking this month anyway about your stuff. If so, then what? If you believe there's this guy named God and he had a son named Jesus and died on a cross, if you believe, then does it make a difference in how you see your stuff, the lens you kind of view your money? Does it, does it make a difference in the way you spend your money? As that, you know, my decision, I'm going to send my dollars over there. Um, if so, then what? Here's what we looked at last week in, in here. Um, uh, all these dangers that kind of attack. Okay, I do want to live a different kind of life. But then here's the, the question. Is, can I defeat the brainwashed monkeys that attack my life? If you weren't here last week, you're thinking, what, is, what church is this? Well, get the tape, okay? Anyway, uh, how do you defeat those and, and instead say, I, I want to pick the way I want to live my life? And how can you give margin to and escape from this quicksand called debt? And finally, we kind of... Say, how do I attack the greed in my own heart? And the answer to that is I hold my things loosely and my money loosely. And I intentionally begin to ask God, what are you into? And I start giving my money in that direction, the things you care about. Now, we don't give because we're trying to buy our way into heaven. You cannot write a check big enough to get into heaven. And you can't give something so small that God says that's not good enough to get in. And let me take a time out right here because I, I think I miss. I didn't intentionally this. I misspoke last week. Meaning this, that there are some religions here in the world that uh, are kind of a works mentality. If you do this, then you can go to heaven. And, and I lumped Catholics in with that. And that was an overstatement, I think. I, I, that, so I apologize if that was offensive because all Catholics don't believe that. Over the history, both Catholics and Protestants, there have been leaders in both of those, those churches who have said, I think I can get more money out of people if I hold heaven over their head. And, uh, and so I, I, if, if, if that was offensive to you, I, that wasn't my intent at all. People of all faiths have, have misused money, and we all know that's true. We don't give so that God will let us come to heaven. And there's no problem if we don't give enough that he's going to keep us out. That's not why. You know why we give our money towards the things of God? It's because Jesus said it's a better way to live your life. That's why. Jesus said that, that, we, that if you'll just give the things towards the things God's into, he says that, let me define that for you. That's called being rich toward God or a life that's truly life. And later, next week, next year, next life, whatever, here's, here's God's goal for your life, is that you're not left beside this pile of depreciating junk. And that's all you have left. Or the word he uses, total loss. But here's what I want to do this week, all right? I want to kind of change gears and, and unpack a different question. It is this, what happens, or really what could happen, when not you or me or just the two of us or my family, um, but what happens when uh, dozens of people or hundreds of people 
Or today, when we're talking about thousands of people. And you can call it this group of thousands of people, whatever. You can call us a church or a community of people. What do you do when a bunch of people link arms and say, we share a common faith, a belief in some basic truths? We, we kind of link arms because we all believe this. God wants everybody on the planet to at least have the opportunity to hear that, they, that God loves them. We think everybody on the planet deserves that chance. Even if they say, no, I don't want his love, everybody on the planet at least deserves a chance to hear that God loves them. And we, we believe that uh, Jesus died for everybody. And, and if, you know what, if, if they just ask him, he'll give them forgiveness. And we believe that Jesus, this is what Jesus taught anyway, that if you get him and if you follow him, you ought to take care of poor people. You ought to kind of rearrange your life and take care of lost people and broken people. What would happen or what could happen if those of us who believe that, that those things are true would link arms and kind of embark on a mission together? A journey to accomplish the heart of God. And here's the answer. Because I've been studying this for the last, well, years, really. What would happen if a bunch of people linked arms and said, we all believe that? It's not everything the same, but there's three or four things that we really believe in. What would happen? And here's the answer I came up with. We would see what Jesus meant when he said, let there be church. I think we get a picture of it. If some people would say, we're just running after three or four things, I think we get a picture of what... Jesus had in mind when he said, let there be church. I believe the same thing would happen in that church that happened in the very first church back 2,000 years ago when the first one started. Again, I challenged you last week, if, you had, you know, if, you, if you're bored and you never don't know what to read in the Bible, try reading the first few chapters of this book called Acts, which is short for Actions of the Very First Christians. But if you read the biographies of the first followers of Jesus, like that book of Acts, every time they linked arms together and kind of risked something, took a, took a step of faith, a few things happen. If you want to write these down, and again, prove me wrong, read through this, okay? Here's what happens whenever some, some Christians, some followers of Jesus, linked arms with one another and said, hey, let's try something we've never done. First of all, their own relationship with God got better. It got deeper. It just got, got deeper, all right? Second thing that happened is that cold and hungry people became warm and well-fed people. Every time the Christians said, we just believe three or four things are true, let's link arms together and let's take a, risk, a step of faith. One is, I got tighter with God. And the other thing is that cold, hungry people became warm, well-fed people. And, and, and here's the other thing is that their neighbors, their friends who weren't really into Jesus, started showing up, started coming with them, kind of checking out, what, what is it that you guys do? And why do you do the things you do? And why do you get on planes and send money to Afghanistan? Why? Why? And here's the thing is, and behind all this question is, do you got something that I need? Do you have something that's better than what I have? And here's what happened back then. And I think it's happening even today. When they got there to this little community or this little church and walked in and sat down, you know what they found out? God was in love with them. And he's not mad at them. And if they'd ask him, he'd forgive everything. And he, he, his basic thing is just follow me. It's a better way to live. And when that happened back then, not just one or two people or a few dozen people, thousands of people believed for the first time and they began to follow Jesus. When I, when I talk about the very first church, they want a little congregation in somebody's living room. Acts 2.41, the very first day of church, the first day church ever existed, 3,000 people got baptized the first day. The first time they met on a Sunday morning. If you keep reading a little bit for, for the two, Acts 2.47, more and more people were added daily. Acts 4.4, 4, they counted up just the men in the church. There were 5,000 men. So do the math. Add a wife and two point something kids, you get over 20,000 people in the first church. If you're saying churches should be small, well, then the Bible's wrong. <laughs> I'm just telling you, right? When they were persecuted, when it became illegal to become a Christian, even more people flocked to this thing and it exploded. Two things exploded. Their faith, their relationship with God exploded, and their numbers exploded. I mean, more and more people came, which brings me to what I want to talk about today. This little community we call Flatirons. For those of us who are kind of new to Flatirons over the last two years, and that would be half of us in the room, 
Uh, just going, uh, has everybody always been here? No, 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 no. Uh, most of us have been here two years or less. Let me give you a little history lesson, all right? And correct me if I'm wrong in here, because I know some of you have been here a long time. A little over 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, some followers of Jesus, that's just what I'm going to call them, they lived in this community close to Boulder, the surrounding towns. They were talking and sensing that God was leading them, calling them to, to launch a community, not modeled after other churches in, in the world, but after, after this community that they saw in, in the Bible, a church that would never be that church. And let me tell you what I mean by that church, because you all know, oh, that church, that boring church where you sit and listen and go, this is, I, I don't even understand what he's talking about. That church, remember we used to go there? That irrelevant church that doesn't talk about anything that's going on in your life. That church that uh, the music was voted top 10 in 1800. Um, <laughs> that church that has a dress code and unless you meet it, you can't come. That church where experts stand up front and tell sinners what they ought to do different or should do different. And they begin to meet together. And they begin to study God's word. And then they kind of linked arms with some other people, followers of Jesus who had the same idea. And it began to grow. And it grew out of a living room and into some school gymnasiums. And then they took over the CU Planetarium for a few months. Then they couldn't fit there anymore. Then they, they moved into what's, what's now the karate shop on the other end of the strip mall. It used to be a carpet store. And they outgrew that. And they decided that when people had to sit outside on the sidewalks under heaters and listen to it and kind of try to look through the windows just to hear that God loved them, it was time to maybe move. And they pooled what money they had together and they spent a little over a million dollars to turn a feed store into what you're sitting in now. They used to sell like cow food here. Um, <laughs> and they wondered, I bet they wondered, will we ever fill this thing up? And they did. Um, there's the answer. Uh, but two years ago, when I stepped into the leadership position of, of this I made the same promise to God they made. I promised that we would continue to talk about real stuff in real language, even if it gets us in trouble, me in trouble, and not empty, empty religious, uh, offer empty religious bumper sticker answers to the challenges of our life. Been to that church. That we wouldn't tell people what they should do or ought to do different or dole out punishment when we don't think they're doing it right. That we'd simply continue to lay out what Jesus says is a better way to live than trust if Jesus wants to change you, fix you, or save you. That's between the two of you. Because we can't fix anybody, change anybody, or save anybody. It's not our job. Our job is just to get the two of you in a room and let you talk. And that's what Flatirons is. And Jesus made me, or rather his church, the same church that he made a promise to 2,000 years ago. He said this, if you'll just do that, not try to be anyone's savior. He's got savior covered. (laughs) Not try to be anybody's personal conscience. He's got that covered as well. He just says, if you just point people to my son Jesus, if you would just simply invite your friends to come and check it out for themselves, come and see is how we say it around here. Jesus said, uh, this, is way, this is the only verse. If you have your program with you, on the, there's only one verse today. Only one verse that we're going to look at. Uh, if, if you say, well, that's kind of, you're not really teaching the Bible. Listen to the last few weeks. We taught the Bible, okay? This one's, an, this one's enough. Look what Jesus said. He says this. But I, talking about himself, but when Jesus, he says this. When, I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, and he's talking about on a cross. When I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to myself. I will. Jesus says this, if you would just, because maybe he's just looking at all the religious groups around right then. If you would just stop yelling at people, if you would just stop persecuting people and judging people and simply lift up this message that there's this God that loves people so much that he would do whatever it takes, including dying on a cross for them. If you would just shine a light on that, Jesus will draw people to himself. Jesus is the one who changes people and he'll invite people. So my question is, why is Flatirons growing? What are we doing? Write this down. I don't know. Except a long time ago, we decided to stop being anybody's Holy Spirit. 
Because we think the Holy Spirit's a pretty good Holy Spirit, and He can do it by Himself. He's a much better teacher, counselor, and healer than any church or preacher could ever be. We're just trying to follow Jesus. Heck, half the time I'm up here working through my own therapy, my own crap. It takes six services for me to get it, you know? So whatever God's doing, aren't you glad to be a part of it? Aren't you thankful that you say, this is my church? And my prayer is this, is that every day, wait, wait, I, I'm a, I got time, don't find, all right, here we go, we gotta go. You know how long I went last week, so let's, let's go back here, okay? Uh, my prayer every day is just not get in the way of what God's doing and mess it up, and he's doing something amazing here. I wish, from now till next week, I could stand up here and I could read emails and stories of people that people give me, of changed lives, especially, you know, who are giving church another chance because they got wounded by another church or another group of Christians. I don't think people hate God, I think they hate churches that are mean and claim to speak for God and judgmental Christians. But when they find one where they feel like, I think Jesus is somewhere in this building, they keep coming. Isn't that why you come? And Jesus is keeping his word. He says, if you'll just shine a light on me, I'll draw more and more people to myself. I don't think that increasing numbers is the only way to see if a church is following Jesus. I know some very small churches that are following Jesus in amazing ways. And I know some really big churches, mega churches, that I think Jesus is going, I didn't say that. I don't, I don't blame me for that. Go to a different church. I don't, you know, I don't, um, but I do believe that Jesus is keeping his word that healthy things grow. And in case you didn't notice, we're growing. The best comparison I came up with this week is, do you remember when you were in junior high and there was that kid in your class that uh, he was growing so fast that his, that his pants were always too short? Remember that, that kid? Some of you are that kid, you know? And his, pa- his parents, every two weeks, would buy him a new pair of pants and he'd be like, well, there they are again, his bony ankles sticking out there. I think Flatirons is that junior high kid. I think Flatirons has hit puberty. That's what I think. We're about 13 years old. We're kind of awkward. We're not real pretty. I don't think we have B.O., but who knows? Um, but we're growing like crazy. And that's great if you're a junior high kid, even if your parents have to keep buying new pants for you. Because if you weren't growing, they take you to the doctor because something's wrong, right? And it's also great if you're a church. But with it comes some if so, then what? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff at you and just kind of let it wash over you because it's pretty overwhelming. Um, a recent report found that 96% of churches in America went down in attendance last year. 96 out of 100 churches got smaller last year. Of the 4% that didn't get smaller, the growth rate that was considered normal or healthy, pretty good, was 1% to 3%. That was, that's a good growth rate. Now, the only reason I tell you that is just so you can kind of get your arms around what's happening here. Uh, in 2007, uh, we ended the year with an average weekend attendance of 5,129 people. Now, hold on a second. Every time I'm, I say the word people or a number, okay, you know, our goal is not to get big. We know, no one ever sat and go, well, can we become a one of those mega churches like we see? No, that's nobody's goal. Anytime I say a number or the, word, or, or the word people, what I'm talking about is someone like you. Someone like you really care about. Someone that wasn't here a year ago, but now we are. Somebody that two years ago thought God hated them. And then for whatever reason, they got drugged into this place. And then God told them that he didn't hate them. He actually liked them. We'd like to spend the next, I don't know, billion years with them. Uh, that, that, the, whenever I put a number or, or say the word people, that's what I'm talking about here. So 5,129 people was the average week in attendance. That's 1,300 more people per week than the year before per week, uh, which is a growth rate of 34%, not one to three. 
Now, over the first four weeks of 2008, January, attendance has averaged 6,717. That's an increase of 2,678 people or a growth rate of 66% more people than we had at the same time last year. All right. Now, I want you to hold on to those two numbers and hold on. All right. 34% last year, currently 66% growth. All right. If we grow at 17%, that's half of last year. In a year, our weekly attendance will be 8,073. Two years, 9,445. And in three years, 11,051 people cramming into a strip mall. If this year matches the 34% last year, just the same, in a year, it'll be 9,246 people. Two years, 12,390 people. And in three years, 16,602 people crammed into a strip mall. And just for fun, if we just kept growing at 66% rate, a year from now, there'll be 11,040 of us. Two years, 17,664. And in three years, 28,262 people. But we're not going to do that. <laughs> All right? All right? We just, you just got to let that sink in a second. Um, people. People that currently think God hates them. People that if they died today, it would be a flip of the coin. People who don't know. People that you care about. It's your kids and it's your parents. It's your neighbors. It's the person that every time you look at them, you just think, ah, you're wasting your life. That's what I mean. People like us. Now, let's just get a little more immediate. This Easter, we're projecting that, uh, it was just six weeks from tonight. Um, Easter attendance will be between 13,000 and 16,000 people. The junior high kid has outgrown his pants. All right. Um, and our plan for Easter was to rent out the Broomfield Events Center. That seats 6,500 people in a concert format. We do one service on Saturday and two on Easter Sunday. But the Events Center changed management four times this year, and they, they dropped our reservation. Yeah, that's what I said. So now our plan for Easter is to do eight services right here in this building on Easter weekend. <laughs> for, wait, don't, don't, don't clap. <laughs> Yeah, you're coming to one, all right? So, I'm just messing with you, all right? Four, yeah. Yeah. Four on Saturday and four on Sunday. And sign up start tonight, by the way, for helping. Here's the thing, and, and you can clap after this one, all right? The next weekend after Easter, we're going to keep seven, and we'll be on a seven, seven services every weekend from that point on, all right? Thank you. All right, yeah. Now, you're like, oh, crap. All right, all right. Here, why? Why? Simple. You might want to write this down because when you get home, you go, now, why, why are we starting more services? We've learned this. If we can open up, and here's the phrase, empty seats at optimal times. If we can open up some seats at optimal times, people fill them. And the key thing is there have to be empty seats, and those empty seats have to be at certain times. Now, let's talk about that. Saturday night, this service right now, um, not a lot of room, all right? Uh, and Sunday at 10 and 11.30. These are the optimum times. Three out of the six services, these are the optimum times. While Saturday night has a little more room to grow, this room t- average is 80% full. I'll th- I think it topped that tonight. Sunday at 10 is right at 1,500 people, which is 107% of capacity. If you came at 10 o'clock on Sunday, there you, 100 or 150 of you are sitting out in the lobby in folding chairs watching it on the screen. And 11.30 is 85% full. That maxes out this auditorium, but worse, it maxes out our children's space. Because we, whatever's in here, about 20% of that, add that, it's across the hall. So for every 1,000 people we have in here, there's 200 kids across the hall. So we have a little bit of room to grow. But here's the thing, all right? 
If we can split the 10 o'clock Sunday morning service into two services at 9.30 and 11 and half go each way, it frees up 1,400 seats right away. We don't have to build anything. We don't have to add on anything. It just frees up 1,400 seats right away. Now, this is a better option than turning anybody away because of a fire code violation or because of we maintain certain safety ratios in there. Although we've had 54 little kids in there with two adults before, and we won't do that anymore, by the way. That's called hell. So anyway, um, <laughs> all right. So we're gambling on the fact, okay, that if, if the Sunday morning 830 crowd, they're morning people, so they don't have a big problem just saying, I'll go to 8 o'clock, and it opens up all new tea time you know, options for them. Uh, and the 1130 crowd tomorrow is always late. So they can sleep later, hit brunch, go to church, and still make a 2 o'clock football game. So the second question then is how? How? Because when I told the elders about this, here's the plan that we'd like to propose. Their first response unanimously was, how can you do this? You know, because all over the country, pastors are burning out or wearing out. You know, and it's, it's just tough. And let me just say this. Thank you. You, I get so much encouragement from you guys. And somebody asked me in the lobby a minute ago, do you get told thank you enough? Yes, I, I, really, I really do. Um, let me talk about this. Um, I'm at a, a point in my life right now that Sunday at 8 o'clock, I'm disappointed the weekend's over. You know, it's like, ah, I want to do it again. I really, I know that you're like, you're crazy. I know, I, I am. Um, and I'm at a season of my life where my, my kids are, you know, up and in college now. And my marriage is going great most of the time. And, and so... Uh, <laughs> I'm just in this place in my life. I'm doing the thing I've been waiting my whole life to do. So this, for me, this is Disney World. And I got Scott Nickel beside me that when I'm not teaching, he's there. Most churches don't have someone like that. So, uh, I mean, I couldn't do it without him. And I'm also surrounded by a bunch of guys who are very honest with me and tell me if I'm not okay. So we're okay. I sat down with the worship staff, the children's staff, the guest relations staff, and the awesome volunteer teams that surround them. And uh, make this place run every week because it's not run by staff. The normal church our size is staff 1 to 80. And we're staff 1 to 189. So um, we're never going to have enough staff. So we don't even really want enough staff because you guys are so great. We think this is doable for a season. But not sustainable long term. We just can't do it. Um, when we agree 7 is the max. I can't come back and go, it's actually 8. All right, it's not. So um, if we'll spread out, meaning I can come to you old timers by that, I mean, you've been here more than six times. That means you're an old timer here. Uh, say, hey, could you move to this service or could you move to this service? Um, and if you'll keep on doing that, uh, we'll get through the next couple of years. But that brings me to the other thing I want to talk about tonight. Um, last year, we negotiated a lease extension with the city of Lafayette, which very graciously, uh, we're already supposed to be out of here. Um, they extended the lease for another three years. But after that, they've already told us no more extensions means we have to vacate all commercial property in the city limits so that the city can develop that uh, for tax revenue. That's, that's not bad. That's just how cities run. That's how they pave streets and things like that. And we knew that was coming. What we didn't know was coming was that the, that the junior high kid called Flatirons would start taking steroids. We didn't know you'd do that. Um, so here's the reality. We can't stay here for three more years. It just won't work without seriously damaging our staff or impacting our growth. So um, we're going to accelerate... The, the move by a year, which means that we need to be in a new facility by Easter 2010. In other words, we can hold on for two years, but not three, which means we have to build. We can't rent. We can't lease. We have to build uh, sooner than later. Now, a bunch of questions come to mind with that, all right? First question, where would we build? 
Check this out. Uh, several years ago, Flatirons was given the option on 24 acres, about a mile from here. It's still in the city limits, on the corner of 120th and Emma Street. If you go down here, tell dead ends and turn left. We're down on your left. By the end of this year, the $1.4 million debt on that property will be paid off. Now, the question is, all right, look, I, what about that Walmart building over there? I mean, it's empty and it's for sale. It's right across the street. That, that's, that's who we are, right? We tried. We tried that. We fully researched it. We sat down with Walmart corporate and the city of Lafayette, and we found out that the renovation of the Walmart building, as well as the required building of a $16 million parking garage, was cost prohibitive. So we decided not to do that. So we're back on our property. So what kind of building are we talking about over there? I don't know. Something like this. Come on. There it is. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I promise. No. That's funny. Listen, we're, we're the church for people who don't like church, you know? And we go to places like Afghanistan, the places where nobody else will go. And we meet in a strip mall beside a liquor store by a bingo hall. So whatever we build, that's kind of who we are. And that's not going to change. Here's what we do know, all right? It'll be a bigger version of this. Our architects say and the city planners say that on 24 acres, the largest possible building that we could build over there with children's space and parking lots would be an auditorium that seats 3,000 people. That'd be twice the size of this room. So we're going to build a big box with a stage on one end of it. And beside it, we're going to build another big box broken into nurseries and children's space and our student center. Picture this. Two Home Depots side by side with a lobby between them. Um, And that would be a pretty good description. Welcome to Flatirons, all right? <laughs> now, having said that, now listen up. We have to adhere to, to building codes that won't allow us just to build two boxes in a lobby with a bunch of parking spaces. Legally, we can't do that. We'll have to meet certain criteria like any other building project in the state as to how high it can be and traffic flows and environmental studies and aesthetic requirements. But please hear this. Whatever we build over there will be the most cost-efficient building that... The law will allow. We will fill it with the best technology like this. And we will keep as much money freed up for doing ministry as possible. There will be no stained glass. There will be no, you can't touch that. But I would like to ask you if it's okay if we have cup holders. Yay, Jesus. All right, all right. So, all right, so there you go. Good, all right. Here's some questions I've already heard uh, just knowing that I was into this. Um, Will I get lost in a building that big? Yes. Yeah, you can get lost in this one. That's why it's so important that you find a group to belong to. And we're going to talk more about that next week, but um, flat on his lips, getting connected with some other people, that's important. Here's a, the, the, probably the number one question I've been asked is, will we have to dress up in the new building? Yes, just like you were going to Home Depot. That's the dress code. If you'd wear it to Home Depot, you can wear it here. All right, that's it. <laughs> How much is it going to cost? I don't know. Let me write this down. A lot. Yeah, that was nervous laughter. Uh, To have room for the number of people we're talking about, it's going to take about 140,000 square feet. But here's what I want to propose. Whatever it costs, we take a minimum of 10% of that and give it away to people in need. See, what if at the same time we're building the building here, we see it kind of as a launching pad to other places in the world? 
So let's, let's build whatever we need to build, but let's build more houses and schools and hospitals in Barakab and Afghanistan and wherever else God points us. And I don't know what God's plans are for the next few years around here, what he's going to do in this, in the other side of the world or in downtown Denver. But here's what I've learned and we've learned this month. Building a building cannot cause us to do less for the world. It has to cause us to do more. And we will not build a bigger barn for ourselves and ignore the homeless in Afghanistan, the orphan in Africa, or the hopeless in downtown Denver. We won't. So, yeah. So, if so, then what? If here, then definitely there. Let me just kind of plug this. This Wednesday night, if you are at all interested in going to Afghanistan this year, we have five more trips going. We had a trip count back this past Sunday night. This Wednesday night at 6.30 to 8 o'clock out here in the lobby will be an informational meeting uh, for everything from I don't do anything but rock babies to I'm a surgeon to I can build things, uh, whatever that is. Just show up from 6.30 to 8 and we'll have an informational meeting on that. Here's another question and then we'll try to move through this. When? When is this going to happen? It's already happening. We have architects and engineers and financial planners working on the project as we speak. So this fall... In, in, in October, I'm going to be coming back going, here's what it's going to take to become a reality. I say, well, what, what, why are you telling us in February? Um, because each of us is going to have to take his own, get his own house in order. This is too big for any one of us. No one can do this. No one can build a town in Afghanistan. But we did. And no one can do what we're about to do. Unless we link arms and take a leap of faith. And take on a project so big that if a year ago somebody would have told you God's going to do this, you would have looked at him and said, that's not possible. But that's God's specialty. So we have to get ready. How? How do we get our house in order? Well, it goes back to this. If so, then what? Last weekend, um, a lot of us that were here, we were given homework. Now, a bunch of people are looking at the floor. Uh, and here's the homework. Go home and look at your personal finances and begin to ask God. Not is this a bad way to live. Ask God this. Is there a better way? Is there something more you want to do with my life, God? Is there something more that I can do? And how can I get involved in what you're doing? Over there, over there, at Flatirons or in the world. So when you came in tonight, don't panic at this because it's, it's not as bad as you seem. When you came in tonight, there were a card, all right, on your, on your, on your seat. There will, there will be no names on this, all right? And I don't want you to do it yet. But there's pins on there. Please don't take the pins because we have five more services, but take the cards. Um, at the end of the service today, I want you to write three numbers on that card. Again, no names, nobody's going to check on this. And, and here's, here's, as you went home and did your homework, um, what number did you land on? Saying, you know what? I think we could do this for, you know, for the heart of God. You know, I don't know what that is for you, and I don't even say there's a goal for that, but, but whatever that is, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to write that. What does that add up to in a month? So if it's $10 a week, it's $40 a month. If it's $100 a week, it's 400 a month. If it's... 10,000, you know, whatever. Come see me later. Um, no. So what, what's, you know what? We can do that. If you're 10 years old or 12 years old or whatever that is, and you're saying, I make five bucks a week. So what's God telling you to do? Okay. Um, here's the second number. If you stretched it a little bit. If you sat there and gone, I, I could do 10. I could probably do 11. What's that number for you? What's the next number for you? And here's the third number. Call it a faith number. Going this. Don't write a gazillion. All right? But if God got involved in your life, 
it's that number that you would love to be able to give, but it's impossible unless God does something that you would look back and go, that was you, wasn't it? What's that number for you? So three numbers. We know, we've talked, we've thought about it. We did the addition at our dining room table. That's the number. You know, and I guess if we, you know, gave up Chick-fil-A, no, you know, uh, or something like that, it could probably be this other number. But I'm telling you, it would be something totally a God thing if it was this third number. You think about that. Now let me ask you this, okay? Why are you here? Why, Why are you here tonight? And the answer is this, because something... And I would build a case that it's Jesus brought you here, drew you here. I'd even say rearranged the universe so you could be here, but that might be pushing it. But here's the other answer why you and I are both here tonight. Because over the last 13 years or so, every week, some people who don't even know our names and we don't know their names rearrange their lives. And they put money in colorful buckets and they rent out space in a strip mall. And Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night, they rushed home from work or through a drive-thru and then got back here for rehearsal so they could memorize these songs up here so you could sing them. And then they came early tonight and tomorrow morning to make us coffee. And then before we got here, they strapped on some vests and stood out in the weather to direct overcrowded traffic and try to smile at you when you were mean to them because you're in a bad mood. And they got here early so they can take care of your baby, teach her about Jesus. Why? So you could come in here and sit down and find out that God doesn't hate you. But he's actually in love with you. And he has a better life if you want it. Someone did that for you. Because somebody did that for them. And now they do that for us every week. And that's why we're here. Because honestly, this is to be honest. Two years ago, if somebody would have told you you would be a churchgoer, you would have laughed in their face. Or a year ago, if someone would have told you that you would be a churchgoer and like it. So much so that you would invite your friends and your buddies at work and school. You would have looked at them and asked them, what are you smoking? You're, what? No, no, I don't go to church. And just remember, can you remember this time when you'd given up on the whole idea of ever being connected to God? Remember that? Or feeling His presence in your life or that He cared about you, let alone building your entire life around Him. Or just in one dollar because of Him. Remember that wasn't even on the radar? But here we are. And I don't know what we're doing. But if we keep on doing it, God promises to keep on doing what only He can do. Drawing people to Himself. And we have to believe. If we believe, we've got to get ready for what He's going to do next. We have to get ready. Because He trusts us. Apparently. So we're going to, do, we're going to end our service this way. Okay? We're going to take communion together. All right? We do this about every four or five weeks in here. There's, there's tables in the back every week in case you want to take communion every week. Um, I grew up in a church that took communion every week, but whenever you want to take it. But today we're going to do it together. You, you don't have to do this. This isn't a litmus test. You know, if you don't do this, you don't love Jesus. It's not that at all. Okay, so if you're not comfortable, just let it go on by. But three parts to this communion today. Jesus gave this to us as a gift because he knew that we would always tend to lean on things that don't take care of us. And he says, you know, you know, whether you do this every day or every week or every month, whatever, whenever you do this, would you just take a time out and just go, oh, yeah, it's you, isn't it? Yeah. So the first third of this communion, here's what I want you to do. Just take a piece of bread, if you're comfortable, you don't have to do this, and a cup of juice, which represents his body and, and blood on, on the cross. That's, that was the price to take away our sin. And then just, just, would you do this, thank you and I trust you? Would you pray a prayer that just has those two phrases in it? Thank you, and I trust you. 
And then let's go into the if so, then what? If so, if, if I do trust you and I do believe you are who you say and you are into the things that you're into. Um, during the, the second song of this communion time, uh, our Afghanistan, Afghanistan team just got back Sunday night and they handed out $50,000 worth of food and firewood, the $50,000 that you guys laid on tables out there. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to watch them give, give the stuff away that, that you bought for those people. Um, you might want to get a Kleenex. And here's why. It's because the, the night before they got there, two babies froze to death. But the day they got there, a lady had a baby and she couldn't stop bleeding. So one of our nurses and our med team that we financed ran over to her house and they're both okay. Because you guys said yes. Um, I'm just telling you. You saved a life because you said yes to Jesus. If so, then what? If both of those are true, then what do you think you're supposed to do about that? And that's between you and God. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And this might feel weird, and if you don't want to do this, don't. But next week, I'd love to be able to figure this out and come back and tell you what, what I think God's going to do. Would you write down those three numbers on your card on the left-hand side, one right after another? And then, here's what I really want you to do. Would you write the same three numbers on the other end of the card and rip it in half and put half of it in your pocket, flip it over and write one or two words that you hope this new church building contains? It's got to be this. Please don't let it be this. You know, please none of that. Um, And we'll pay attention to it. And then uh, people who are much better at math than me will add up that. Here's what we think we can do. Here would be a stretch. And if God did something like he's never done before, this is what we could do around the world. Um, Then you put that in the bucket on the way out today. Would you do that? Even if you're 12 years old? You can do that as a family. You can do it individually, whatever that is. Um, That's all I got. Um, I love this place. It's changed my life. Me too? Yeah. Let me pray. God... um, so we come to you tonight and we just say thank you for saving us and loving us, hearing us and healing us. And God, some of us, you know, this is our first time even being here and we're kind of going, see, it's another money sermon. That's why I don't go to church. This is not a money sermon. This is a heart sermon. Because our heart beats for you, God, because your heart beats for us. And you care about some stuff. And because you care about it, I want to care about the same things. Because when my heart goes after the things I care about, I screw up my life more. That's just the facts. So God, I'm just turning my face back to you more and more. I'm not anybody's Holy Spirit, and neither is this church. The two of them, you and them, you've got to work out your stuff. But I just love being in a room that we bump into you a lot. So God, just uh, thank you. And if so, then what? Can we feed some more people? And if so, then what's it going to take? And use me. Use me. In Jesus' name, amen.